Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I am your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas. This is a pre-recorded show which will be uploaded for your listening edification on the evening of Monday, June the 8th, 2020. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. This is our eighth post-COVID show, A New World, but the Same Place. So stay tuned. Tonight, we seek to center our attention on the degree of injustices that continue to face blacks in our country well into the 21st century and shackle their ability to be guaranteed an equal chance to be successful in the pursuit of happiness, a pursuit that our Constitution is supposed to guarantee. Part one of the show will detail the inequities that are largely driven by wealth inequality in our country that disaffect people of color disproportionately. After empirically defining the degree and scope of inequality, we then turn our attention to some of the major false rationalizations or myths that include the claimed lack of personal responsibility and other behavioral variables that seek to deflect attention from an alternative hypothesis to explain the second-class conditions of the disenfranchised. This compelling hypothesis attributes the preponderance of the insurmountable burden on the system of structured inequality that has evolved from slavery to Jim Crow laws to present-day manifestations of discrimination that have resulted in the median net worth of a white family being some 41 times greater than the median net worth of a black family. Part two features special guest Dr. William A. Darity, the Samuel Bois Cook Professor of Public Policy, African American Studies and Economics at Duke University, who together with Kirsten Mullen recently published the groundbreaking book, From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. Dr. Darity will address both common myths that are mistakenly promoted to describe the why behind these profound inequalities described in part one of the show, but will also outline solution-oriented approaches that are fully explicated in From Here to Equality. Bringing Light into Darkness dedicates this show in the context of Juneteenth celebration that Co-op Radio honors each year throughout the month of June. But first, as we do before every show, we first go to war.
It's been a week and a half since the May 25th, 2020 George Floyd death occurred at the hands of the Minneapolis police while in police custody. Former President Obama addressed the country last Wednesday afternoon on June the 4th. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden had essentially done the same the day before. Liberal news coverage remarked how much more presidential sounding that was compared to the Trump messaging over the past week. Point taken. When you compare the words spoken, relatively speaking, to the presentation of President Trump during the last week of protests, demonstrations, looting, and other violent behaviors that have occurred, there is a feel-good big difference in the words spoken. There is an opportunity for real change presenting itself as the country has apparently woken up in a sense to the seemingly irredeemable status quo. But what is not being addressed by the major media entities in their analysis of the protests and violence that has occurred in what both the Democratic and Republican parties have been complicit in, along with the major media, and that is the accelerating increase in wealth inequality in our country since at least the 1980s. Today's show is part of a two-part presentation. Part one seeks to detail and document what bringing light into darkness has covered over the last decade, namely the deteriorating and in many instances unlivable living conditions facing the majority population of our country's citizenry, but disproportionately persons of color. These facts were all accessed through investigating information available in the public domain through reputable sources. In order for continuity of the show, I will be making available at pedrogatos.org all sourcing documentation for all statistical claims made during this part one analysis and description of the problem. There you can read it and reread it and critique it and examine the sourcing and respond accordingly. The problem is and has been and was nearly completely ignored by the major media and the liberal and conservative talking heads that now are largely falling over each other to explain how the people's protest has merit and demands respect. Yet they have failed us failed to make public, the following deteriorating economic conditions we'll be discussing, and particularly the growing racial wealth divide that has accompanied it. This all occurred well before the COVID-19, although COVID-19 definitely exasperated the problem. The result has been a status quo that has squeezed the life out of the middle class, who now join the disenfranchised in a group of majority Americans that are either in poverty or a paycheck or two from utter despair. The system run by bipartisanship of Democrats and Republicans may have squeezed too hard in their seemingly endless pursuit of more. So the points that need the light of day and discourse around go far beyond justice being brought to bear on those responsible for the horrific death of George Floyd and all the other black men and women that have been killed under questionable circumstances in the recent past in police custody. We must not minimize the need for that justice, nor minimize the importance of meeting that goal. However, it by itself will leave a system intact that fails and has been failing blacks and the disenfranchised since the birth of our nation and the advent of slavery, followed by the Jim Crow era and the different manifestations of discrimination that has followed and persist until today. Part of what we'll document in the past 40 years or so since 1980 to present, can be best described as incrementalism. Incrementalism and its close corollary tokenism is when you have progress, but is at a snail's pace and therefore is more objectively described as a lack of progress because the status quo of unfairness remains largely intact. That only begrudgingly do injustices improve, but rarely, if ever, do they heal. It is time for healing. And part two of this show focus will be primarily on the solutions needed 
to heal structured inequality and systemic racism. When you have a failed economic system that largely and increasingly abandons a huge portion of American citizens from becoming free from hunger, insecurity, and instead are being plagued by anxiety of what lies ahead for their family into the future regarding the challenges of meeting the basic needs of and providing a comfortable life for themselves and their children. What that is, is the creation and the manifestation of a second-class citizenry. And we will show how quality of life affects length of life. Image-making, misrepresentations, techniques can brainwash us into accepting what is really unacceptable. For instance, the GDP, i.e. the size of the economic pie, can grow, and we are told what a great thing that is for the economy to grow. That's a no-brainer, right? But at the same time, if the growth is all going to the top 1% or 1% to 10%, then 90% of the population can be, and we will actually show, is suffering a deterioration of their economic quality of life. The sharp rise in the wealth gap between rich and poor in our country under the eight-year tenure of our most progressive president in recent memory, President Obama, is the greatest wealth inequality increase, or at least rivals the greatest such increase by any other president in our history. By 2018, the richest 10% of households' wealth in our country increased to represent 70% of all U.S. wealth. These increases were mirrored by decreases for households in the 50th to 90th percentiles of the wealth distribution, i.e. the middle class. This was reported by federal researchers. Meanwhile, essentially the bottom 10% of the wealth curve remained unchanged. This bottom 10%, which constitutes a significant portion of those in poverty, remained unchanged, so poverty levels did not increase much, or they may have actually improved. So the false image that's presented to the American public is poverty did not increase. The GDP is getting bigger. That's all a good image, right? But it also deceitly covered up the real truth, namely that there was a massive redistribution of wealth from the middle class, that 50 to 90 percentile, up to the top 10 percent. So instead of robbing the poor to increase the wealth concentration to the top 10 percent, they essentially robbed the middle class in the wealth distribution. At the end of the day, or we should say at the end of Obama's eight-year term, wealth inequality had accelerated and continued under the first two years of the Trump presidency. By 2018, wealth inequality had become even more disproportionate over the past decade, with the richest 10% of U.S. households representing, as we mentioned, 70% of all U.S. wealth in 2018, the largest percentage in our history. This is compared to with 60% just as recently as 1989. And this is according to a recent study by researchers of the Federal Reserve. The study finds that the share of wealth among the richest 1% increased to 32% from 23% over the same period. In 1980, according to the Economic Growth in the United States study, A Tale of Two Countries, this is back in December of 2016, by the prestigious economists Emmanuel Saiz, Thomas Piketty, and Gabriel Zuckman, they concluded that in 1980, adults in the top 1% earned an average of 27 times more than the bottom 50% of adults in our country. Today, they earn 81 times more. This ratio of 1 to 81 is similar to the gap between the average income in the United States and the average income in the world's poorest countries. Hedge fund billionaire Ray Dalio wrote in Market Watch, was interviewed back in April of 2019, April 16th, and he talked about a failing economic system. He said capitalism has developed into a system 
that is promoting an ever-wider wealth gap that puts the very existence of the United States at risk. The system has produced little or no real economic growth for most people since 1980 after being adjusted for inflation. The percentage of children who grow up to earn more than their parents has fallen to 50% from 90% in 1970. The wealth gap is at its widest point since the late 1930s, with the top 1% owning more than the bottom 90% combined. Most people in the bottom 60% are poor, and about 40% of all Americans would struggle to raise $400 in the event of an emergency, he says, citing a recent Federal Reserve study. And when we talk about poor, we're talking about low income. And when we talk about low income in economics, that means twice the poverty level. So the poverty level for a family of four is some $24,000, a ridiculous number. For a family of four, and twice that would be a low-income family, namely some, what, 49000 or so, okay? In a May 4th, 2016 opinion piece in the New York Post, President Obama accurately stated, over the past six years, America's business have created more than 14 million new jobs. The image-making was that we have more jobs, and that's good, right? Well, he also has taken credit for less poverty, as we talked about earlier. But the reality is many jobs created provided unsustainable income, and while poverty and unemployment went down, low-income families soared, while the greatest wealth transfer in history went from the bottom to the top. False image-making includes that the unemployment falls to 4.6% in November of 2016. Well, that's a true statement, but the nature of employment was also changing. A major study examining 2005 through 2015 under the Obama administration reveals a spread of part-time and contract work, which they call alternative work, okay? It found that 94% of the 10 million jobs created during the Obama administration were temporary contract or part-time positions. That means they were temporary or unsteady. The proportion of workers engaged in such jobs rose from 10.7% to 15.8%. At the same time, the study found that under Obama, there were 1 million fewer workers engaged in full-time jobs than at the start of the recession. Despite being employed, 28% of U.S. workers took home poverty-level wages in 2011. These are employed people, 28% on top of the unemployment number, taking home poverty-level wages. In 2015, this is according to the sources, the basic facts about low-income children, children under six years, 2015, was published in January of 2017 by Yang Zhang and Maribel R. Granja, a couple of other authors from the Center for Children in Poverty at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University. In 2015, 68% of black children under the age of six, that's 2.1 million of children, black children, live in low-income families with 58.8% of the 2.1 million living in poverty versus 33% of white children that made up 3.8 million. 42.4% of them were living in poverty. Among all children under 18 years in the United States, in 2015, 43% live in low-income families and 21%, approximately one in five, live in poor families. Children are overrepresented in our nation's poor. They represent 23% of our population, but comprise 33% of all people in poverty. Over 23 million young children under age six in the United States. 
It's really infuriating to understand what's being said here. You know, children are our most vulnerable of our population, and they're overrepresented in poverty. 45%, 10.5 million live in low-income families, 23%, 5.3 million live in poor families. In 2014, for the first time more than, in more than 130 years, you've got to go back to the 1800s, but in 2014, adults aged 18 to 34 were slightly more likely to be living in their parents' home than they were to be living with a spouse or partner in their own household. This was from an April 2016 Pew Research study. You had people living with their parents at a rate that has been unseen since the 1800s. This is what our economy was like way before the COVID virus. It's just unlivable, unthinkable types of circumstances for the richest country of the world. A study that was on mortality that was released in January of 2016 by the National Center for Health Statistics showed that Americans could expect to live for 78.8 years in 2015, which was a decrease from the year before. We had never had that since the HIV epidemic in, in the early 90s. The overall death rate increased by 1.2%. This is uh, at the end of Obama's administration. That means 86,212 more deaths were recorded than the year before based on this small but significant decrease in life expectancy. Dr. Peter Munig, a professor of health policy and management at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, said in an interview that the decline was a uniquely American phenomenon in comparison with other developed nations like Japan or Sweden. Quote, a point one decrease is huge, Dr. Munich said. Life expectancy increases, and that's very consistent and predictable. So to see it decrease, that's very alarming. So what does this mean? In February of 2016, the Brookings Institution analyzed life expectancies for men who were among the top 10% of earners and compared those to who were among the bottom 10% of earners. And these were for men that were born in 1950. And the bottom 10% life expectancy was 14 years shorter than for those among the rich. So when you talk about wealth inequality, such profound wealth inequality, what you're talking about is shorter lifetimes by over a decade. So moving more to the black experience, for black families and other families of color, studying and working hard is not associated with the levels of wealth amassed among whites. And this was work that was done by our frequent guest on the show, Dr. Darity and his team out of uh, Duke University, Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain, Why Studying and Working Hard Isn't Enough for Black Americans. This, him along with Derek uh, Hamilton were the lead authors of this piece in April of 2015, accumulated this research. And what they found was black families whose heads of households graduated from college had about 33% less wealth than white families whose heads dropped out of high school, okay? During the recession period, that would be what, 2005 to 2009, a typical white family lost 16% of its wealth, while the typical black family lost 53% of its wealth. Before the recession, 2005 to 2009, typical white family had 10 times the wealth of a typical black family. After the recession, it rose to 20 times difference. A reserve survey of consumer finances to reveal how wealth is skewed along racial lines in the United States. A study found that the median black family today owns practically no wealth. In 2018, its wealth was $3,600. That's assets minus debts, right? That's your net worth. 
This figure is just 2% of what the median white family owns, 147,000 compared to 3,600. Wealth ownership in 2018 is 41 times greater than the median family black net worth and 22 times more wealth than the median Latinx family. Moving on, we'll kind of sum this up here in just the next few minutes. 37% of black families have zero or negative wealth, okay? So while 3,600 was the median, there's 37% of black families. They have no wealth. They have zero wealth or they're in debt. The number for Latinx families is 32.8%, have zero or negative wealth. The most important economic industry, not income, but wealth. And for whites, it's 15.5% of, of white families have zero or negative wealth. That's a huge number too, but it's less than half of uh, African-Americans and Latinx families. And this was information that came from 10 solutions to bridge the racial gap divide that was published in April of 2019 by Derek Hamilton, Chuck Collins, and Diedrich uh, Asante Mohammed, I think is the lead author. But anyhow, between 1983 and 2016, after adjusting for inflation, wealth of the median white household family increased 33%, okay? And while the median family saw their wealth for a black family drop more than half. So at every education level, blacks are twice as likely to be unemployed compared to their similarly educated white peers. In 2015, President Obama's last full year in office, Black families whose head of households graduated from college had about 33% less wealth than white families whose heads dropped out of high school. Racially disproportionate exposure to predatory finance practices. You know, these are like wealth stripping debt traps, the authors say. They result from inadequate income, unemployment, and income volatility. People of color accounted for more than half of the total 32 million non-elderly uninsured in 2016. The number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States is an illness to oneself or a family member. And then lastly, federal tax subsidies. These were the ones that were put forth by President Trump. They're huge every year. And so not just under Trump's administration, but under Obama's as well. Federal tax subsidies estimated at over 600 billion per year are currently skewed dramatically to advantage the wealthy at the expense of the majority population. If this was reversed, it would have a monumental impact in reducing this racial wealth divide we've been describing and solving economic inequality more broadly. Black men are 2.5 times more likely than white men to be killed by police, according to August 2019 research from Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Okay, And so when you look at median household wealth over time, it shows that the racial wealth divide is expanding. It's not closing. It's getting worse, not better. It's sucking the blood. It's sucking the life out of the majority population, period. This is the economic environment in which Trump won the presidential election in 2016. It wasn't Russian interference. Arguably, it was an untenable continued squeezing of the working class to the benefit of the elite bipartisan status quo, supported by a media that failed to present in detail any of these inequities we've been sharing over the last 20 minutes. Between 1983 and 2016, the median black family saw their wealth drop by more than half after adjusting for inflation. The median white families, on the other hand, saw their wealth jump by a third. The ability to weather financial crisis and avoid financial ruin is inexplicably 
tied to this important indice, namely wealth. And then because of the tax package, because it was so heavily skewed towards high-income households who are mostly white regarding the tax cuts passed by Congress, this is in December of 2017, these tax cuts that were passed, of the nearly $275 billion within the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018, the Prosperity Now study found that $218 billion, or 80%, went to white households. So when you see rioting in the streets, instead of asking why would they burn down their own neighborhoods, perhaps instead ask why have generations of peaceful demonstrations failed to put more than a small dent into the major underlying causes of inequality? Why have the root causes of structured and systemic inequality and racism been ignored generation after generation, which in turn has created such an seemingly insurmountable racial wealth inequality. And lastly, before we turn to a clip that speaks to the same question as to why neighborhoods get burnt down, as opposed to just blaming it on irrational behavior back in 2011, it was a study that was done on North Carolina inmates called Black Men Survive Longer in Prison Than Out of Prison. And it was a, a study showed that black men are half as likely to die at any given time if they're in prison than if they aren't. Um, but that pattern did not hold for white men that were in prison. On the whole, they were slightly more likely to die in prison than outside, according to the 2011 study's findings. And these, this is a study that was published in the Annals of Epidemiology. The study involved some 100,000 men between age 20 and 79 who were held in North Carolina prisons at some point between 1995 and 2005, 60% of them were black. And so what's very sad is that we are able to all of a sudden equalize or diminish these health inequalities that you see by race inside of a place like prison. It should also be that in places like a poor neighborhood, we should be able to diminish these sort of inequities. This is uh, what uh, Evelyn Patterson said. She studies correctional facilities at Vanderbilt University when she was interviewed about it. What they found is that white prisoners died of cardiovascular diseases as often as expected and died of cancer slightly more than non-prisoners. Black inmates, by contrast, were between 30 and 40 percent less likely to die of those causes than those who weren't incarcerated. They were also less likely to die of diabetes, alcohol and drug-related causes, airway diseases, accidents, suicide and murder. At the end of the day, the lead authors, Dr. David Rosen, had this to say. For some populations, being in prison likely provides benefits in regards to access to health care and life expectancy. What a statement. What a definition of a second-class citizen that, as an African-American, you, according to this study, which I'm sure needs to be replicated, life in prison guarantees you a, a longer life expectancy because the living conditions for African-Americans in our country are so irredeemable. And so that's the crux of the issue right there is kind of captured, I think, in that study. You can see that this uprising that we're seeing in our streets right now is a, a symptom of this underlying unreported environment. And all of these pundits on the news that are flooding our visual images with all these protests and the violence and this and that and the other and pretending to be so concerned about the plight of, of African-Americans and and the poor, they don't spend a, a minute over the last five or 10 years of sharing the kinds of statistics that we just went through here in the last 20 minutes. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> 